Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Lady Chow Fung and Kenny, and we're going to talk about the 1987 film, A Chinese Ghost Story by Chi Sui Tong. Uh, this is a movie about a scholar who tries to take refuge in a temple and falls in love with a ghost, but finds himself on the wrong side of a tree demon's wrath and has to contend with a really aggressive and powerful Taoist swordsmaster. So that's the sort of the rough very quick synopsis of it um and like i said it's directed by chi soi tung um he's directed a lot of really great movies including uh the swordsman films and uh duel to the death which i highly recommend and more recently he did uh um uh i think he directed the sorcerer and the white snake um so uh so Guys, before we get into the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go through the movie kind of like we did last time, but I just want to get everybody's sort of general uh, reaction. Like, uh, wh what did you guys think of the movie in general? And we can start with you, Lady Chowfung. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a good movie. I like the the love story between the human character and the, the not human character. And I like the... Um, action sequences and I just thought it was a really good story kind of different than what I'm used to yeah and I, I, I enjoyed the movie as well I think um, you know it's definitely different from what we usually watch there's a lot more of a magical aspect to this movie and it's kind of like going to Shanghuan you know, Shansha territory uh, where you have like the magical sort magical effects and deep ghosts and demons and stuff and the concept of going to hell to retrieve your loved one was a uh, uh, very sort of fresh take on that and I know I, I, I really enjoyed um, the sort of bumbling scholarly character that Leslie Chung portrayed and uh and I kind of like one thing that sort of amused me was that you know the, the, another movie that we've seen with Leslie Chung in it was the um, uh, the the Bride of White Hair, and that was all, uh, a movie where you know one of the main antagonists was someone who spoke with a male and female voice basically at the same time. And in this one as well, it's like, oh, it's like a, a thing with him. It's like he stars in movies where the bad guy has a, <laughs> a, a weird male-female voice issue going on. Well, and yeah, there's a this movie, I think, seems to cause a lot of typecasting. Like, Leslie Chung definitely, you, you see him in this kind of role. And Joey Wong you see in this kind of role constantly as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's um, and, and, I, and I, I think you're right. That there's, a, there's a definite connection with... Um, uh, bride with white hair it has it has a lot there's a lot of similarities in terms of mood and in terms of the the point you made about the villain and all that stuff so um so yeah i i thought it was a, a I, I mean I, I like this movie i think it's a great film i i love that it sort of blends horror comedy action um but none of those three things seem to suffer from the existence of the other a lot of times if you have if you if you try to balance all those three things, one of them is going to have to be diminished. But it feels like with this one, it's um it, it's uh, uh it's it, it it all is complementary. And and we can get into that a little bit more later on. But um but uh, I guess you know moving into sort of the the discussion of the um of the film itself. And you guys can feel free to pipe in at any point while I'm going over this detail. But it it opens up with a, a scene where we have a kind of almost like a random scholar at the uh, at the Lanro Temple who gets seduced by the Joey Wong character 
and is um uh 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 you know and killed by the by the tree demon and it's just sort of the opening scene that establishes everything i don't know if anybody has any comments on how that scene was shot or anything like that but uh you know any the thoughts Huh? Just the implication of uh, death by draining in the very suggestive position. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah there were there was a, there were a lot of suggestive pose and like you didn't you didn't actually see anything, but a lot of the a lot of the glimpses that you got sort of led your imagination to certain places. Um, it was uh, and and the way that the uh, the way that people are killed in this is uh, is I don't know it's pretty gruesome the way that they're sort of they're just basically sucked dry by this tree demon. And uh, who we learn more about later. Um, uh, but what's also interesting, and I'm going to kind of, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I like that the remnants of these scholars are left over and become monsters unto themselves in the temple. Um, you know, they don't really amount to much in this movie. They're, they're not, they, you know, they're sort of a lurking threat that never really hurt anybody, but, but they still have sort of a function. And, uh, oh, and before we sort of get into it, I, I do want to mention, this is based on a, a story by Pusong Ling. Uh, the story is just the name of the uh, Joey Wong character, Ni Xiao Chun. And it's, it's, uh, it's similar to the movie. The movie takes a little bit of some liberties, obviously. And in the, in the book, the outcome is quite a bit different. And we get a, uh, you know, we can get into that a little bit uh, later in the podcast if people want. But it's definitely worth reading. Uh, 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 the Pusong Ling story is from the collection Strange Tales in a Chinese Studio. And this is a collection of stories that have had a huge impact on uh, on, on horror movies in China. And uh, and again, this is, I think, one of the more iconic uh, 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 adaptations of it. So um, so then we get a musical introduction with um, with uh, Ning Choi San, the um, the Leslie Chung character, uh, going I, what looks like is maybe his first assignment as a tax collector because he's incredibly poor. His his his, his uh, umbrella has holes in it and is not protecting him from the rain. He's got a hole in his shoe. All of the food that he's eating looks terrible, and he ends up uh, taking shelter in the rain as this swordsman wanders by and these bandits. Uh, you know, who robbed him or fleeing and the swordsman lops off one of their heads and then kills another one. And the blood splatters on, um, on, on Leslie Chung. And, uh, and then he's sort of stuck in this awkward situation with this swordsman who, who gives him a bun. And, uh, I don't know. It, it's just sort of the musical introduction, but it, I, I, I think it's worth commenting on the scene. If you guys have any thoughts. It is. I actually thought the, the swordsman Shah character was like, Pretty decent bloke. I mean, he only killed those two um, bandits just because they stole from him. Which, in in, in this sort of day and age, in that sort of day and age, kind of made sense. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and he shared his food with uh, with uh, Ning San, which uh, you know he didn't have to do. It's like, oh, he, he could see that you know um, Leslie Chung's character was very poorly dressed and he had like holes in his shoes and stuff. So he tossed him a bun, and you know, I, I, for some for whatever reason, like um, Ning San, like. It, I thought it was a bit ungrateful at that point. You know, he like to get he sort of took a small bite out of it until like the swordsman left, and he like spat it all out, and uh, and yeah, you know, and, and and tried to and ran away as soon as he could, which like, I thought was a uh, pretty uh, ungrateful of him, but uh, doesn't really impact the story in any way. To be fair, but I just uh, thought that was an interesting uh, way they interesting thing to show. 
No, I thought it was a nice gesture on the swordsman's part. I thought he was trying to basically do the right thing. He just was very sort of righteous. You know, the, you know, the, the, uh, he doesn't make distinctions. You know, if somebody's done something bad, he, he punishes them. And if somebody is innocent, he gives them food, I think. And so and, he, and he's not he's not he's not a very gentle sort of person. So um, I, I but but, you know, uh, the Ning, Ning, uh, Ning Choi Sun uh, ends up spitting out the bun. And I, I do wonder if he thought maybe it was poisoned or just dirty or just didn't want it. Um, but, you know, I was hungry. So I, I, I've always kind of been curious about the spitting out of the bun. Um, yeah, I was curious about that, too. I kind of wondered if he just was thinking that the um, swordsman was evil and just didn't want to have anything evil touch him or go in him. I don't know. It was just really weird. Well, I, I thought it was kind of ungrateful, too, because if I'm hungry, I'm just going to eat whatever someone gives me. Well, in but, the... In, in the short story that it's mm -hmm. based on, his character is kind of like that. He, he's very pure, and he, like, you know, at one point the ghost offers him gold. She offers him, like, you know, uh, seduction first, and he rejects that. And then she offers him gold, and he rejects that. And so I think it maybe that's an, uh, a relic of that part of the character from the story. Um, but, but I don't know. I, I guess he could also think maybe the swordsman's just trying to poison me. Like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, he just saw the guy cut somebody down and he seemed pretty troubled by what he saw so uh i don't know uh kenny do you have any thoughts on that i, I mean I, I, I it's hard to say because it yeah you know, he i don't know tax collectors in general or whatever they, they're not really seen as good people aren't they so it's it's kind of strange that you know he um he, he seems like so innocent and and uh, righteous that you know he can't even accept food um, from 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 someone who's starving when he's willing to go and collect all of the money from all these like people doing their businesses properly and yeah you know, I, I don't know it seems a bit, that scene just seems a bit unnecessary to me and leads us to a bit of um, I guess contradiction in his character and in, in, in the sense that. He, he seems like someone who appreciates, who would appreciate uh, help from people, and maybe see, he would see the good in people. Whereas here, you know, he, he was just obviously completely dismissive of, of um, Swordsman Shire as a person, and it's like, oh, he is completely evil, and I must have nothing to do with him. I can't even have his food touch my lips, and mm -hmm. that just seems a bit too extreme. Well, and again, it could be that we're misreading it, and he was just scared, and he, uh, and that's why yeah. he didn't want to. But, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess. But he is still, even though he's a tax collector, you know, they're, they're, they're scholar officials. And so, you know, he, he, you know, he, at this point, you know, maybe he still is holding on to some idea that he's this, you know, upright, you know, right. You know, it, there's even a, uh, later in the story, in the movie, there's a point where he kind of rebukes both the swordsmen. Um, but again, he's, you know, he does it in a much more, uh, I, I think, endearing way. Uh, but... But I don't know. I, I would. I, I. I. always found that scene a little bit odd. Like I. I don't quite know what to make of it, and I don't know if I'm missing something or, uh, if uh, if there, you know, if, if I'm reading too much into it, maybe. You know, maybe it's just just a funny moment that I'm not supposed to think too much about. But um, but I don't know. Anyways, the the story continues, and they. Uh, he goes to town, and I don't know. It's an odd community. There are soldiers, and these guys were. They, they they keep sort of recurring throughout the movie. They just are aggressively trying to arrest people. And 
if they hear people shouting, they come after them. They just have like the slightest provocation. They just rush out to arrest people, and they don't really care who uh, who they arrest. And we kind of learn out. We learn a little more about that later when we actually meet the magistrate who's 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 uh, who's handling all of the cases. It's a little clear why that's the case, but. But so he, he sort of has this run in, you know, with these uh, with these soldiers. And then he goes to collect uh, taxes from one of the restaurants and his books have been completely ruined by the rain. The ink is run and he has no records of how much he needs to collect. And so he's not able to get any money and he's not able, therefore, to stay at an inn. Uh, and he has to go find cheap accommodations. And he asks around and somebody tells him to go to Lonro Temple and everybody is very quiet all of a sudden and he doesn't seem to take you know take any notice and he goes to uh lonro temple uh and on the way he's terrified by some wolves uh but he he does uh you know he does make it there safely and uh you know we sh- did you guys have anything you wanted to say about the in scene or any of that or can i well, isn't that where I thought it was funny that when, you know, they were telling him about, about the temple, the people started talking about him as he was turning away to leave. And then he turned around to look at him. And they all got quiet at the same time. Then yes. he turned around to leave. Yes. And they start talking. I thought that scene was um, quite comical. It was like the perfect amount of um, funny for the moment in, the, in that movie. And I think I want to mention as well the the scene with the the charms being stuck to his back is oh yeah mild, mild, okay, it, it's mildly plot relevant like not extremely mm-hmm. so but the fact that he, you know he, he when he was like, accosted by these uh, bounty hunters or man, or constables or whatever they were um, they pushed him against um, a charm seller store and he had all these charms stuck yeah. to his back uh, which actually transferred some ink over which. Uh, it shows up brief for a couple of seconds um, somewhere down the, the line, but he's basically walking around with these uh, weird symbols passed down his back. Yeah. I, I'd say that's important. Also, there's another scene that's pretty crucial that I glossed over there where he goes to a vendor who's selling pictures and he sees a painting of a woman and he says, oh, this is very beautiful. I'd like to buy this. And, and the guy says, oh, you have excellent taste. And then he, you know, but he has no money. So he says, ah, you know, excellent taste, but no means. And, uh, and so he, you know, he, and again, it's funny because that is often in these Pusong Ling stories, that is often the case with these scholar guys. They're, they're, they're super educated and, and knowledgeable of the world, but they have no money or the, you know, they're, 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 they're desperate to either pass the imperial exams or, uh, or be appointed to an important post. So, um, so anyways, he, he goes to the temple and there he sees uh, Swordsman Yin played by Wu Ma, who's just a, like right away, you know this is an important character just by the look of him. Uh, he's having a duel with the guy he saw uh, cut off the head of the uh, of the bandit, uh, Ha Ho. Um, and so, uh, you know, and he's sort of stuck in the middle. There's a fight scene, and then they kind of there's this great moment where they both point their swords like right at like he's stuck in the middle, and their swords are meeting like right by his temples. And he appeals to them to uh, to love each other. And, uh, and that, you know, goes on and talks about how love is the most powerful weapon. And, uh, uh, and it, and it, and it's more or less funny depending on the subtitles. The, uh, I noticed that the DVD version that I have had much funnier subtitles for this scene than the Blu-ray version. Um, and the, uh, and the, um, and the subtitles on the, uh, on the other version were also, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, different as well. So, um, and I don't know, did anybody have any thoughts on this scene? 
I, I think the camera work during this um, that scene was actually really was very well done actually. Um, mm-hmm. When when you hit the, the swordsmen sort of pointing their swords at each other, you can sort of tell they're facing each other, and you get like a shot of his face as as it sort of like reveals that it's actually caught between two <laughs> the two the two blades. <laughs> oh, that was a pretty um, funny moment I thought. <laughs> Yeah, and then he starts preaching about the love and everything. It's like, dude, you're stuck between two swords here. I think I would duck before I start talking about loving each other. And he tries to get them to hug and shake hands, and they're just not having it. So I thought it was a little funny. I just love how, like, in that scene as well, like, the two swords are just talking to each other, ignoring the fact that they've basically got a hostage caught between them. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and and also it, it's a very good indication of the kind of movie we're going to get. We get sort of that that clear sort of action scene. Like before, when the when the swordsman killed the bandits, it wasn't necessarily wire foo. Do you know what I mean? But now we're sort of in in very uh, fight choreography driven territory in this fight between the swordsmen, and and so it's a you know it's just kind of a a good indication of what's to come, um, and so. Uh, let's see. So we, we, so we, so he finds a room at the temple and there are these dead scholars in there who have all been feasted upon by the tree demon. And they all, I mean, I don't know. What would you guys say about these effects of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, the scholarly remains? They're, they're, they're very sort of, you know, eighties practical effect, uh, undead, I would say. Um, what were they thinking? They're definitely <laughs> dated. You can yeah. tell it's not, um. Uh... A modern type movie it did not age well i'd say no well what's really funny is in part two they kind of double down with that effect um it's uh it's very interesting to see because it because i do think i think there are a lot of really good effects in this movie but i think those dead scholars are maybe the weakest effect and it could have been they almost would have been better off just putting people in body suits that have gore on them uh you know because then you wouldn't have had the weirdness of the movements and you know the shoulders didn't quite look proportional and there were just things that were kind of off about them um so uh so anyway soon after the uh soon after that duel uh swordsman ha ho is uh is is uh near a river and he sees uh he he sees uh the uh the joey wong character uh bathing and she seduces him and he's he's killed by the tree demon and we sort of get a very clear uh sense now of of how the how these creatures are operating the ghosts sort of do the seduction and then the uh and then the tree demon uh sends her her she basically puts her tongue down their throat right that's sort of the mm-hmm. um and and she drains their 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 uh she just dehydrates them they just well, my question is why why does a seduction need to happen in order for I think okay, so here's what I think is going on. I think she's trying to get like their yang energy or something, and so having them seduced before that happens is, you know, it's either that or it just makes them very vulnerable and easy to pick off. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. It, yeah. That just um, the tree demon when we see her, him, it is not really attractive. So in order to get that close, she needs she it needs to have some kind of um, way to um, get. Oh no! What happened? Oh, oh, I can hear you. Okay. Um, the tree demon needs to somehow get these men unaware so that she can 
drain their essence and life force and everything out of them. And I think the best way to do it is through a beautiful woman because most men are totally lustful. So if you get them in a compromising position, then they're able, the tree demon's able to get them quickly without them even knowing till the last moment. Yeah, I'd say that that's it. That's the right answer, I think. And just to, to point out, like the one who's doing the seducing by the riverside is actually um, um, Xiao Qing, uh, not Xiao, not um, Xiao, not Xiao Xing. I thought, I thought, oh, uh, are you sure about that? I could have sworn it was her. I'm looking. It's uh, it's definitely um, oh, okay. Xing there. Okay. Um, so I, I don't know who who it was at the beginning as well. So I. But don't we see? Like, isn't go, that the scene where we see her crying though, when she witnesses him being killed, or? Yes, but um, um, the, yeah, it's definitely Xiao um, Xing's face there. But I think uh, Xiao uh, Xing was also around the area because um, not long afterwards, um, the tree demon was sort of berating her for not spring a sacrifice, basically. Um, and I think it's because she was she was being soft about it. Well, yeah, but that was also because she found the note that um, that she had written. To um to Ning Choi San, and yeah. and she thought that he was hiding a man, and so that was the uh, uh the reason she got really angry. Um, but I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll uh I, you I guess I was wrong about that though. I guess it was uh, the other the other uh ghost. But um, but but either way, he ends up dead, and then and then uh Swordsman Yin arrives and finds his uh former rival uh is one of the you know when people after people are dealt with by the tree demon they become like those scholars in the in the temple they become these these bad 80s horror movie props and and uh and and swordsman yin you know uh, picks him up and is it looks like he's about to bury him or something and then the body attacks him so he so we get to see you know some of his his his, his Taoist magic to to fend off the uh the spirits and so he he throws like a a burning scroll at him and the uh, and the body explodes, um, and then it's soon after this that we have uh, the first meeting of uh, uh, Ning Choi San and um, and uh, uh, Ni Xiao Sun in the uh, in the uh, lake pavilion, and uh, he's uh, he's drawn to her because he hears her playing the uh, I think it's the Gusheng, and he goes to the pavilion, and and those uh, symbols that he had on his back that you were talking about, Kenny. Uh, you know, they cause her some distress. So she sort of throws her veil in the water and he goes after it and then she pulls him out. And they have a little bit of mo of a moment, but uh, Swordsman Yin comes. And uh, and so uh, uh, Ning Choi San chases after her with, with the Gusheng, which she's left behind, and he eventually catches up. But then there's a cobra and he's trying to save her from the cobra. It's clear she's not really scared of this cobra, but she kind of plays along and she kind of helps along too. And and then they end up running away from Swordsman Ying, who she says is this terrible murderer, and he offers to distract her, the swordsman, and uh, and they sort of go their separate ways, and uh, Swordsman Ying uh, ends up chasing her, but the uh, the tree demon matron intercedes and uh, and she's able to get away. So I don't know. There's a what do people think of the tree pavilion scene and uh, the meeting by uh, the the chase scene through the woods? I was really amused by the by the uh, the seduction attempt there. 
And like he, she was like, "Oh, I'm cold. Warm me up." And then she's like, "Oh, if you're cold, we should uh, try your clothes to see if you uh, put some more clothes on or whatever." <laughs> yeah, he's so pure; he's not having it. But she tries really, really hard to get him. And then I guess she realizes that he's a nice guy and shouldn't be eaten, drank, whatever, by the tree demon. So. She kind of, I think she start definitely starting to fall in love with him by the end of that scene. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. This is where the romance seems to be beginning. Um, and yeah, I, li- I like the seduction scene is pretty funny. Um, and I think the scene with the snake is pretty funny too, because he's sort of trying to be heroic, but like, it's just, she's a ghost. Like what's the cobra going to do to her? And, and so, you know, but, but I think she's amused that he's, he's, he's trying to protect her. So uh so she go, she goes along with it and i'm also that scene with the snake i always wonder this in these movies because it i mean it, it it i really want to know like how close the actors are to a real you know honest to goodness cobra and if the cobra has been defanged and if they're you know like like how how much of a risk are people taking in these action sequences involving venomous snakes um and you know is there a piece of glass separating like i don't i i'm I'm very concerned for the actor's safeties when I uh, when I watch these scenes. Um, if I were the actor, it would have to be a rubber snake. Yeah, you're not getting me close to a cobra. I'm not a. Uh, uh, I, I I again. I I'm, I'm sure it's camera tricks or something, but I just don't know. I have no idea how they did it. Um, and uh, and yeah. So then he. Uh, so I think the uh, the next day, Swordsman Yin, uh, you know, approaches him and tries to sort of scare him off, and. Uh, he uh he has kind of a fight with him and he also realizes that he can fake the entries in his book so for this this guy that we were saying is sort of very uh seems very righteous he's you know he's he he's pulling a pretty dirty trick on people uh though again i'm sure that the bureaucracy is pretty unforgiving so maybe he really doesn't have much of a choice and uh you know because who knows what consequences he'd face if he doesn't bring uh bring uh his collections in so uh, so he ends up faking the entries on the log and he drops his inkstone into the chamber below where all those those uh, undead scholars are. And he, he, he crawls down into the chamber and he accidentally it's kind of I don't know. This is a weird scene because it's very scary, but it's also very funny. He's like he's being stalked by these undead scholars and he he accidentally opens up a shade and the sunlight pours in and just melts them away. And then they just leave this awful residue on his inkstone. And he has no idea how much peril he's been in. Um, I, I just want to point out, like, it, it, so, so this is, like, so we, we were first introduced to these um, zombie scholars, triple scholars, when, when he was trying to set up bed for the night, you know, just as prior to uh, him meeting Chasin. And they're basically, like, slowly ambling. They're actually, they start in the, in the, like, the attic, I guess, is what they were, trying to slowly crawl down towards him. And there's a little bit of slapstick of them all, all falling through the roof and crashing down into the basement. And he's just like, what's happening? <laughs> and he starts covering up the hole in the floor. And, you know, so, you know he, he is completely unaware that these zombie scholars exist like and i think it's sort of lots of like slapstick humor there and and that uh we as the viewer can see like oh he's in mortal peril these zombies about to you know they, they can smell his blood because uh, he, he gets like a splinter in his thing going he's like closing the window or whatever and that's sort of what wakes the zombies up and it's like, yeah. oh he's in trouble now but he's never really in trouble because the zombie 
these always seem to conveniently fall into the wrong places or get blocked off in weird and interesting ways. And yeah, and, and, and the fact that he accidentally kills all of them by moving a piece of wood out of the way, uh, <laughs> sunlight through is also a bit, well, bit um, but interesting. It's, I yeah. But I don't know. I find that uh, that the 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 humor adds to the the horror for me in these scenes. And normally I'm the opposite. Do you know what I mean? Like normally if it's a horror movie, it's sort of the, the constant maintaining of that horror atmosphere is, is kind of vital to making you scared. But in, in a movie like this, the humor almost has, makes you drop your guard and, and you're even, it's that weird juxtaposition of like slapstick comedy and like really, really dangerous undead monster behind him. That makes the movie scary. I, I think you. I think before the podcast, you were comparing it a little bit to Return of the Dead, and I think yeah. that's a very good comparison because it's it's that it's that sweet spot where comedy and horror actually align perfectly. Even though you wouldn't think that you can have them both residing in the same place. Um, I'm sorry, Dion. Did you want to say something? No, I just wanted to say that yeah, the slapstick comedy is great, and I enjoyed the scene where. Um, Swordsman Yen is trying to get him to leave and he's kind of stuck in between the um, floorboards and he keeps getting lower and lower and lower. And then one of the um, undead kind of gets a hold of his um, bottom half. And then when he comes up, the um, hand comes down and pulls off his bottom half. And he's like, what happened to my bottom portion? And then he accuses Yin of taking it. And Yin has nothing to do with it. And he's still kind of clueless. He doesn't even go to look for his bottom half anywhere. Yeah, where's my bottom half? It's attached to the upper half. <laughs> so, so some of the jokes... Uh... Uh, translated well, but some of them like are sort of missing in translation. There's, there's a lot of like wordplay humor here going on, so especially like we've got to talk back to the the scene where he's caught between the two swords and is like spouting off like um, poetry and stuff. Uh, there's a lot of like puns and wordplay coming on from people from the people dismissing him as well. So, well, in one of the one of the versions I watched, the subtitles he kind of said he kind of said to the two swordsmen like. He almost said you should make love to each other the way that the subtitle phrased it. And I was wondering <laughs> if, if that was sort of part of the original meaning or if they were just if it was just a bad translation. Because um, it made me laugh when I saw that. But I was like, I don't know if that was intentional or not. That might have just been an accidental mistranslation. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the uh, so then he goes back to town. And uh, and he and and the big thing that happens here is he gets some money, and uh, he he also uh, uh, we see uh, uh, the uh, the Joey Wong character back in in the city with with the, with the scroll sort of, and she's and she's sort of dreamily moving through the city, holding the scroll in a really dramatic way, and there are these horn players by her, and the scene is striking, but it's very brief. And they take that scene in part two and really elaborate on it, and it becomes an important plot point. But the, uh, but I, but I think I think that you know that it's still like a cool looking scene in this movie, and 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 what she so, basically. So, quick, quick, quick question there actually. So, uh, did that scene actually happen? Because I was really confused because I thought she it was during the day and uh, she would melt uh, if she was exposed to sunlight. I, that, that was my understanding too but it was also kind of overcast so i thought maybe that that was but but we know that she ended up taking the scroll right like the scroll was yeah. gone so i think right. i think she was really there whether they were again there's a surreal quality to this movie and i don't know how, i don't because there is that rule sunlight clearly burns her 
till she evaporates and and that was daytime so i don't i don't know i don't know if there was this part that i missed where maybe there was some exception or if uh if it was because it was <coughs> overcast or you know she had an umbrella so it blocked the sun i don't know that's um, what i was thinking because in she's kind of like marching in some kind of parade it seemed like mm. so there might have been people with umbrellas nearby to be able to shade her enough that she was able to swoop in and get the scroll and swoop out really quickly i don't know i did was there some kind of holiday maybe the town was celebrating and that's why there was that, that could great be like a funeral to me actually the funeral so may- like a funeral parade. maybe the funeral gave her some kind of protection from the uh um from the i don't know i don't know uh i i'd, I'd be in I, I really wish i had a director's commentary version of this movie the the the, the versions i got on the, both the blu-ray and the and the dvd the only one of them has a special feature and it's a special feature of james wong doing an interview the guy who did the the, mu- the music but there's no translation of the interview so i have no idea what he's saying in the uh in the special feature um uh but that's an aside uh and anyways, we get more of these aggressive soldiers, you know, trying to gather up people that are shouting. And uh, he also goes to buy the painting after he uh, after he gets his money and he and the guy tells him it's gone. And uh, and, and, you know, he doesn't know where it went. So obviously she didn't go in and buy it. She pilfered it somehow. And uh, and uh, but he's able to buy a bunch of lanterns. So he's sort of confident. He's walking home. He's not afraid of the wolves this time. Um, I don't know what he thinks he's going to do to the wolves with his three lanterns if he if he encounters them, but he doesn't seem afraid at all, and he, maybe he's just being buoyed by love. But uh, but uh, um, Nishui Sun is uh, uh, is watching him from a tree, and she and and she's killed the wolves, and it's kind of an interesting gesture of love, like you like the like you see him walking through the woods, and he and he uh, and and then this, the camera pans up, and you see the wolves hanging in a tree, and clearly she was responsible for it. Um, and so I thought that was kind of an interesting scene. And he was acting so brave and talking out loud to himself and she hears him and then she starts howling like the wolf and then he kind of gets a little scared, but not really. <laughs> oh I yeah, that's that was right. Funny. Yeah. She howls and he, right. He gets nervous. Yeah. Well, that was pretty cute. I think the reason why he like felt safer with more lanterns was because, I guess it's a traditional belief that beasts are scared of flames and and light, and 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 the first time round he was like chased relentlessly because his lantern had gone out. So with three lanterns, he's got three <laughs> times the chances of keeping at least one on. Right? <laughs> his logic was sound, but the uh, the actual execution was eh, not really sure that would help you against the whole pack of wolves. To be honest. <laughs> And then we, we have, uh, after that, we have a big scene. This is like the big sort of, I think this is like the most famous scene in the movie, um, where she go, he goes back to meet her at the pavilion, and she kind of drags him to the manor. And while he's there, the matron comes in, and he's sort of trapped in this manor, and he has to hide in a tub. And the matron, uh, you know, like you said, she found that note um, that Ning Choi-san, for Ning Choi-san, and, and she starts whipping uh uh Nishoi Chan and uh and the there's another ghost there that's kind of her rival and is really enjoying this whole process and we we just kind of learn more about how the ghosts live what the arrangement is with the matron this is I think this is the first time we really see the matron uh, like doing anything and talking in any really you know significant way 
And we also learn that the matron has uh, arranged for her to be married with, and it varies from subtitle version to subtitle version, but I'm just going to go with Dark Lord. Um, she's been arranged to marry this Dark Lord, and so there's a, uh, you know, but, but, the, but the sort of central part of the scene is, is, um, is uh, Ning Choi San having to hide in this tub and her having to protect him from being seen by the matron or the, uh, or the other ghosts. Um, but it's a very, you know, it's a very detail-rich scene. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys want to say anything else about it or if you had any thoughts. Um, I actually quite like the um, the tree demon character. <laughs> I thought, um, it, I don't know, it's somehow, like, the, it's just the way they acted portrayed it was just really fitting. Um and I like the the sort of dual voice thing. I can I, it's sort of those things which made them seem more sinister than um, it, they actually were. I, yeah, I would agree. They that, that the, the the I forget the actor's name, but he did a really marvelous job. And and they kind of do the yin yang thing where they they have a female voice and then a male voice kind of alternating, and it's a really weird effect. And it, it definitely adds to the uh, adds to the, the the quality of the character. Um, and and also I should say that in the in the remake they actually have Kara Hui play the tree demon, so uh, which is which which is and it's done a whole other way, but it's uh but but I think that this version of the tree demon is so effective that that, that you you really you had to bring in someone like Kara Hui uh, in order to to match it for the remake. Um, but I yeah. was confused well, at first by the tree demon because it it's obviously a man with lipstick. But then you have these two different voices coming out. So I was like, wait, is it supposed to be a man? Is it supposed to be a woman? I'm confused. But then it didn't really matter. It was a demon anyway, so. I think what they're doing is I think it's it's definitely supposed to be a, a, a female, I think, because she calls it a matron and she says that she uses she a lot to talk about it. Uh, unless the subtitles are wrong. But... Yeah, like, matron's probably not correct. Like, low, low. It's, uh, it's one of those strange terms that not quite gender neutral, but like both genders ish. Um, okay. Yeah, it's um, an unusual so, um, pronoun. Well, well, what was your impression from the Cantonese? Was your impression that it was um, that the the tree demon was a female or a male or 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 neither? What was the? I think neither. I mean, it is a tree after it, all. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's a tree. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, it doesn't necessarily. I mean, the actor was obviously clearly male, yeah. but other than that, I, I don't think the character itself needed to have a, 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 um, a gender of any sort, just because it's 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 a tree that became a demon after many years of whatever demons. All the trees have to do to become demons, and it's not a seductive tree. De- it's like the like like, no. like you were saying. This is not. Um, it's not a sexy demon, so it's obviously it doesn't. It, it's it's just kind of. Um, I, I think I think what they're trying to do too is I think they're trying to get that sort of it is residing between the boundaries of the human realm and the spirit realm, and so that's sort of the that's sort of like just the way that they're representing it in this. There was a lot of that in the in the '90s with um with characters like like you said in the Bride with White Hair is very you know a uh, very similar kind of thing. You, you, I think um I think that's sort of what was going on here. Um, but uh, the so then you know 
Uh, I guess uh, yeah, about that scene as well. Like I, I thought it was quite interesting, sort of the tension between uh, uh, Siu Ching and uh, Siu Xin. Um, the way the way that she was trying to keep her away from the tub at all the times, and she was clearly suspecting that there was something there's something off about the tub because um, Siu Xin was a bit too protective of it, you know. And and, and just the way like yeah, the little little. Um, battle I'd say between the two of them there with her like splashing water and oh whoops my hand slipped <laughs> no that was a funny scene and also the the the, the um the 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 other ghost it was uh was it a uh, little Chang was that yeah what her name was she uh the the I, I like I like the personality that they had for her she was like you know she 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 was uh she 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 didn't get a whole lot of screen time, but in the little amount that you had, you you basically got what was going on between her and and Joey Wong's character and how their rivalry uh, had come about. So uh, I, I thought that was and again I, one of the things I like about these movies is the way ghosts live in these in these stories is not that different from how humans live. Do you mean it's not, they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they she, she had, there, there's a house with, with ghosts in it. They're, they're jealous over who gets the biggest room. You know, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, one of them is being arranged to marry somebody that, you know, there's a, there, there, there's a, there's an ecosystem just like you would find in a human household. And it's, uh, uh, it's, you, you don't see that quite as much in in, a, in like American horror movies, but it actually makes the ghosts a little bit more frightening at times because they are more real. They're not they're not these vague things, and uh, and so I don't know. I think I think I think it, it works well. Um, but uh, the next uh, the next sequence is um, uh, well, let me find my place here. Uh, so so then we have the scene at the uh at the ghost house where uh she is uh uh where they talk about the painting and she tells him that she was uh she was murdered and her father was murdered and uh uh and then you know she sort of tries to push him away i think she accuses him of of coming after her money or something like that and they have a lover's quarrel and you know she says like yeah i'm 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 arranged to be married with this guy like what are you gonna do and and uh, and so he leaves and goes. Uh, uh, is gonna you know just just head off. But he goes back to town, and again we get more of those shouting guards. But he sees a poster of a guy named Scarface Lou who looks exactly like Swordsman Yin. And so he runs back to warn her because he doesn't want her to get killed by this terrible outlaw that he realizes might be hanging out at the temple. And uh, this is also where we get the Taoist rap scene. The, uh, um, the, oh, that was amazing. Yeah. The, so this this is if if you if you do nothing else after listening to this podcast, look up Wu Ma Rap Chinese Ghost Story. I don't know what the search term should be, but I'm sure you will find a a, a link to to this scene. It's 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 the most unusual thing that actually works in a movie. Like I if if you showed it to me in isolation, I'd be like what. I wouldn't have any idea how this could fit into a movie like this. And it, it comes out of nowhere, but it just totally works. And it fits exactly with his character. And I think a lot of it is because it's Wu Ma. I think he just does a really great job playing this guy. And you just believe that this is Swordsman Yin. And he can do anything. And that includes sing a rap about, about his... Rap, a rap in ancient China about the way. <laughs> well, I got to say, like it's, it's weird because this movie is set in ancient China. And it's it's a little unclear to you exactly which period it is, but it, but you know it's not the modern era, and 
I feel like they throw in all these kind these little anachronisms here and there, but it does nothing to take away from from the sense that this is set in an earlier period of time. It, it, like they they can they can shove a rap sequence in your face and you you still buy that he's rapping in ancient China somehow. I, I don't know how they do it, um, but uh, but and it's a good it's like a really entertaining song. Like it it, it works. Um, and uh, I don't know, like, what, what was your guys' impression of it? Uh, that scene was, I thought, hysterical. I had to watch that scene twice because not only is he rapping, but he's moving around. He's practicing, like, swordsmanship. But it kind of almost is, like, break dancing, but not on the floor. That's the kind of... Yeah. <laughs> that's what it, the impression that I got. And it's just like, man, this... This Taoist priest is just off the chain. I love Wu Ma. I think he's a great actor. And it's like, you know, I was wondering if he was drunk in that scene. Not, you know, his character was drunk and not the actual person. Because it was just like so funny. It's like, that's the kind of stuff that comes out of people when they are drunk. Yeah. So it was just, I don't know, it was a comical scene. I loved it. I've always interpreted it as him being drunk, but I don't I don't know if that's supposed to be the case. He, he looks drunk during the, <laughs> during the scene, but he also could just be filled with, you know, I mean, we see that he's like a complicated man, so he could be filled with, with just this this passion in him that, that he needs to express in the form of rap. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like that scene in the Shaolin Soccer when uh, <laughs> when he starts singing and then everybody else starts joining in with their passionate dancing. It's a but it's a it's a very striking scene. I don't know. Um... So, yeah, and I think probably the translation for the lyrics is all. Uh, so I've mentioned this before the podcast as well was uh, probably uh, missing a bit of nuance just because um, the way or. Tao is sort of synonymous with Taoism and uh, and you know seeking seeking a path to truth and that sort of thing and you know he's basically questioning a lot of things in that song which kind of which, which kind of highlights you know that he is a he's not a simple character like there is some depth to him and I think he definitely takes a swig out of a wine bottle or or or, or to um, during that scene as well so it's sort of you, you, you get the feeling I got I got the feeling that he was sort of lamenting um yeah between the relationships between people and and yeah trying to find how he can make his way in life and 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 yeah not be caught up in the flow of other people let's say well it's it's very interesting i guess we should maybe talk a little bit about his character because i mean this stuff does come up later in the movie too but he he's sort of withdrawn from the world and we get sort of different explanations for why but it seems like he's basically tired of of, of the ways of humans and so he he retires to, into the to the monastery where he ends up clashing with these ghosts, and so he's kind of stuck between both worlds in a way. And over the course of the movie, he's he seems to be slowly imitating the ghosts more and more. Um, to the point, at one point, he's actually covered in white, and and he's he's indistinguishable from a ghost in a way. He he and and, and that's the moment where he has the big crisis, and he doesn't really you know he, he sort of questions uh, you know he seems to be questioning everything. So. He's a he's a very complicated character, and I think uh, I think that uh, you know he eventually does sort of find his purpose in the movie. I think, but he's he's one of the be- one of the better parts of the film, really. Uh, yeah, and I think at some point um, he actually says himself that 
you know, he prefers the company of ghosts uh, uh-huh. anyway, just because they're not as, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the worst humans are, are are worse than the best ghosts or whatever. Something along those lines, basically, which 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 implies to me that he's sick and fed up of like conniving and scheming humans and that ghosts somehow but make better companions that way. They seem to be more honest about what they want up front. Well, and the whole we're not so different, you and I, villain thing is usually way overdone and kind of doesn't work. But here, when the when the matron, you know, sort of says that to him, it actually kind of fits and I think it's effective. And, uh, you know, there's a whole scene where she's, you know, like, well, I'm just killing the bad guys too. And, and uh, you know, and he says, no, you're not. And then I think at one point she sticks his tongue out at him. So he sticks his tongue out at her and she screams. And so then he screams. And so he's just constantly kind of behaving like the ghost. And uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's a very intriguing part of the movie to me. Um, but uh, but I guess we should, you know, uh, uh, go on because he, he come, uh, uh, Ning Choi-sun comes back and he tries to warn her about Scarface Lou and, and 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 this is when they they make love and they they basically uh you know uh be, you know for sure become lovers and it's also uh where um where uh things really kind of start to the the action kind of really starts to kick up and and so uh after they make love uh you know she 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 reveals to him that she's a ghost i don't think he quite believes her yet but she she reveals it and i think the most more, the more important thing is that he actually takes off the her anklet uh mm-hmm. which seems to be some sort of magic item that protects her from being detected by um swordsman yin yeah yeah that's what draws the attention of swordsman yin and but i up... thought the bracelet also draws the attention when she shakes it that's I when think... the tree demon comes out so here's what i think happens i think when she shakes that bracelet i think that's what brings the tree demon to the scene where she needs to kill somebody but I think mm-hmm. Swordsman Yin is on to them, and so he is constantly going after the ghost when he hears that sound. I think that's why I think because like his bells were resonating when that uh, when that bangle was was shaking. Um, but either way, what ends up happening is Swordsman Yin comes after them, uh, and and they're sort of they sort of flee. Uh, uh, he he mistakes Little Ching for Ni uh, uh, Chung and he. Um, and and she gets beheaded by Yin, and so he thinks that uh, uh, um, he thinks that uh, you know once he realizes that it's not her, that it's her her her, uh, uh, her sister ghost. He he, and he still thinks that she's a person. He thinks that uh, Swordsman Yin is indeed this Scarface Lou, and so he 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 goes to the magistrate to 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 tell him that there's been that a woman's been beheaded by this madman, and. Uh, and so then we get this whole courtroom scene where the the official shows up, and they clearly just have a scam where they're they're just they're just using justice to get rich, and and uh, and, and I mean and it's really played for laughs. Like the, the 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 guy playing the magistrate is basically acting like a baby, and and he's got he's got like his number two who's who's arranging everything for him, and. Uh, and and so swordsman yin sort of crashes the uh the proceedings and and they and they bring the real sword uh scarface lu out and we realize that oh they're two different people and uh and then you know by the end uh when they mention that they're staying at lower uh lonro temple all the people in the courtroom flee and uh he goes back to the temple with uh uh swordsman yin but uh i don't know what do you guys think of those two scenes and of the uh you know the antics at the courtroom 
<laughs> I, I just want to point out as well, like the um, the magistrate um, was sort of speaking in a weird um, accent. I'd say it's like a sort of um, what Hong Kong people would think that mainlanders pretend trying to speak Cantonese would sound like. Um, I don't know if they're trying to make a mockery of. Uh, I wouldn't say go as far as to say there's like a political statement going on here about how the, the, all the mainlanders are corrupt and uh, oh, okay, and, and, okay. and want bribes and stuff. But it, it was just one of those things which stood out to me because it was obvious like he was putting on this really dodgy um, foreign-ish Chinese accent. I mean, I think that's a reasonable conclusion, especially you know leading up to the transition of power that sort of looms over a lot of these 80s to 90s films it's uh it, you know it's probably a, a fair and i mean and it and and shui hark produced the film and he's kind of you know a lot of his movies do get that kind of interpretation so um uh i think uh oh yeah i'm sorry but but go on i, I think i might have interrupted you i don't know lady xiao feng did you have any any thoughts on that yeah, I thought the whole courtroom scene was hysterical. It was, like Kenny had said, you could tell they were mocking the courts, and you finally put it together why these lunatic um, constables are running around trying to arrest everybody. It's their way of making money. That's how they're getting getting paid. So I, it's just like a whole lot of things come together in that one little scene. But yeah, the and the stature of the the magistrate is kind of puny and weak and then you have a strong right hand man next to him telling him everything that he needs to say and do it's like complete complete mockery of the whole justice system and also sprinkled in there we get a sense of how famous swordsman yin is because they the 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 magistrate's assistant immediately recognizes who he is and he he reprimands the men for not you know not not knowing how famous this guy is. And he also kind of gives Swordsman Yin's backstory for us so that we understand that he's, you know, fed up with the corruption of the world and is, has withdrawn. And, uh, and he, and he also kind of tries to like, like he's worried that Swordsman Yin is there because they've been doing all this dodgy justice. And he basically says, you know, Swordsman Yin, I had nothing to do with what's going on here. And, and he's clearly, it's all his fault. Yeah. He's, he's like the guy that's behind it. So, uh, it's, yeah, I, I think I think that guy. It's a it's a very funny scene, um, and so uh, so yeah. So anyways, they uh, they 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 go back to the temple, and Swordsman Yin convinces him to to help lure out the ghost, and he gives him the sutra. He teaches him the. Uh, the the man the, the, the very infamous phrase actually yeah. boy me yeah. <laughs> which, which which you will hear repeatedly through the film and it you know it sort of it adds it adds a lot to the to the scenes where he's uh, he's enacting his magical powers um, and but, I have to say that's like a very famous uh, phrase. Uh, probably not because of this movie, just because it's a general thing from um, some of the more famous sutras that people generally not necessarily know but are aware of yet yeah, boy of me is like a sound that's used in sutras quite often for whatever reason no idea what it means like but i'm sure it's something it, profound but it, it's just one of those things which is, uh... it's kind of up there with amitofa when uh yeah. when the buddhist monks like you know have to kill somebody and they they yeah. <laughs> uh so it's um uh yeah i i but it's it's it, but but i think here it's used 
largely for comedic effect with him, where he's sort of, you know, bole bole me, and, you know, he, he sends his, uh, his, his flames at the, at, the, at the evil ghosts. But he convinces him to, to, uh, to, to try to lure the ghost out. And, and for a while, he's, he's on board with this plan. But when, when, uh, when uh, uh, and I'll try to do the Cantonese version of the name, when Nisoi Tsin uh, arrives... She uh, uh, um, she persuades him that she's not bad, and it's pretty obvious that she's not. She doesn't mean him harm, and she has a whole soliloquy she does where she basically says that some men are worse than ghosts, and some ghosts can't vent their grievances, so they, you know, they have to stay. And uh, and he ends up promising to bury her remains in her hometown, and she says he has two days to do that. And this is really in keeping with the original story, by the way. That's the main sort of thing he does in the story is he he takes her. Her, uh, her bones from the poplar tree and brings them uh, to, 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 to a proper burial. So, uh, so you know, uh, but before the night is over, the matron attacks and there's a big battle between uh, Swordsman, uh, Swordsman Yin and, and the matron. And he ends up uh, uh, breaking her power for a hundred years, which becomes important in one of the sequels. Um, and it's after this battle where he's covered in white goo that he he has this identity crisis that we've been talking about and he sort of laments that he's uh you know he he doesn't like know where he belongs and and uh and uh and uh ning choi san is, is like okay this is no time for a crisis like this the important thing is we need to get her bones and bring them back to a proper burial you know will you help me and he he agrees and they and they set about to do that and we can and that's sort of the final climax of the film is them going uh back with uh with the uh, uh, to to with the bones, which we'll get into. But what did you guys think of the the battle with the matron and the scene uh, where he uh, uh, he agreed to take the remains? I give that tongue a big thumbs up. It okay. was it thoroughly disgusted me, like it was supposed the to. The tongue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of gross. It was so long and thick and came from everywhere. It was gross. And so gunky and stuff as well. And yeah, <laughs> it's a very it visceral a... Uh, uh, effect. It, it makes you. It's like some of the sometimes horror movies will make you like feel fear. Sometimes they make you feel physical sensations. And this was one of those ones that made you feel like really squeamish and and gross just looking at it. Um, and yeah, the, the scenes where you know the. Where the, where the tip of the tongue was like approaching someone's mouth, and we yeah we were, we had the scene before with uh, Sourceman um, uh, Sa, um, where it entered through the mouth and it sucked the sucked them dry from the inside. So and we I got a bit worried. Oh no! Don't keep your mouth shut. Don't, don't talk while you're <laughs> being like. It. <laughs> Yeah, if if it was like a proper horror movie, if you what like yeah, one of those careless moments would be when the when the tree demon could have taken advantage and just like dive straight in and suck them dry. Um, yeah, and I kind of I also like the sort of the taunting scene between the uh, swordsman Yin and the uh, the tree demon as well, where they're like just it was just it was just mocking them. Uh, <laughs> they're like sticking their tongue out at each other. Well, and it's funny he sticks his tongue out, then she sticks her tongue out, and it's like you know, a million times longer than his. And, uh, and he has to leap into a tree. Yeah. And, um, our main character says, uh, his, her tongue was much bigger than yours. <laughs> like, duh. 
And uh, <laughs> and so yeah, I like that scene. I, I really like the scene after when he's covered in white and he's just having this this moment where you know the world is so bewildering. And uh, I don't know. And again, I don't know what it says in the original, but the the and again, this is a scene that I found played very differently depending on which subtitles I was observing. And I really think the DVD had the best subtitles of the lot of the ones that I watched this week. Um, and so I uh, uh, I don't know I don't know if, if you had any insights on that from watching it in the Cantonese, Kenny. But um, but you know that 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 exchange between him and uh, and Ning Choi San I thought was interesting. Um, I think I didn't pay much attention to the <laughs> subtitles in that particular. Uh, scene, well, what actually. did you well, what did you think of that? Well, like, what were your thoughts on what they said? I guess. I. I it was quite profound. Like it was one of those things where, um, yeah, you, you have to, well, you see, you see the struggle on Swords and Yin. Like he is obviously like a person who is very righteous and passionate and he wants to help. But at the same time, like he's also so alienated from the rest of people who, yeah, all, all these corrupt officials that which we've, we've seen an example of. And then you have all the people trying to make money, you know, all the, all the, all the, the, the bounty hunters we've been seeing as a recurring thing. And um, it's sort of like an, an interesting thing there, just to see his, his struggle to reconcile, like yeah, the fact that you know humans can be shit, yeah. Um, it doesn't change the fact that you can be a good person among all of that. You can, you can, you can be a pearl in the rough there. It doesn't really matter. You can, yeah, ha- helping someone become, uh, you know, reincarnate is uh, a good deed, and that, that just because you, you, there are evil humans out there doesn't mean you shouldn't help whoever you can. Uh, no, it was. It was. Very, just, oh, go ahead. Yeah. It was a very. Yeah. 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 Oh. I'm sorry. It was a very melodramatic scene. It was very melodramatic. Yeah. I thought, and I think that's one of the interesting things about this movie and movies like it, and just the you know sort of the the cliche or not the cliche the stereotype of the of of of, of the sort of Chinese swordsman movies is that they're like the that they're they don't have emotion. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of like one of you know like. Uh, uh, but when you when you watch a lot of the films, you realize no, there's like a, actually a lot of like the a lot of these guys are are overflowing with emotion. They're they're uh, and 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 Swordsman Yin seems to be one of these types of characters. Is that he's just he's just like like I said, a very passionate uh, figure in the film. And uh, and and I, I think I think I don't know maybe it's because of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and that perception of 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 things is that you know they're more stoic, um, but. But again, the thing that I, you know, that that I find makes a lot of these films so great is the the melodrama, the the ability to kind of go, you know, high emotion and low emotion and kind of go all over the map with things. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, but yeah. So then we get to the the end scene, which is the the finale, and uh, you know they have to flee through the forest and shoot some arrows at trees, but they get there pretty safely. And there's this innkeeper who's got a really low register, strange voice, um, and it's played mostly for laughs. But then you realize that it might be a lot more sinister as the as the scene progresses. And they, when they go to before they leave, when they go to get her bones from the urn, I think they call it a golden pagoda. Um, mm-hmm. They they realize that there's like a ton of these under the trees. They take all of them, and they put them all out, and a bunch of female ghosts come, but none of them are. Uh, are uh, the um, the Nisui Sin character, and so they uh, uh, so they tell them to be good, and they go. And then there's one urn left, and he's like, "Oh, please let it be her." And you hear the voice 
of a man say, did you call me? And it's the, it's the gruff innkeeper calling from the window. And he's just, he's one of these guys, he's, he looks like he's like maybe 22, but he's got the expression of like a 50 year old man. That's, that's how I describe the character. He just looks, you know, uh, uh, like he's, uh, wise beyond his years and he's just lived a life, but he's still very young. And, uh, and so, uh, but then, you know, after that sort of, uh, humorous moment has passed, uh, we, we see, we see that, uh, 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 Nisha Sun is, uh, is behind him and they have a night together where they're able to sort of take her painting and add some poetry to it. And as they're doing that, uh, Swordsman Yin is roaming around the inn and there's this really great sequence where he slowly realizes that the inn is evil. And he, he, he does some magic on his eyes and he can see the evil fog and he, he opens up one of the, uh, one of the um, uh, pans in the kitchen and he sees that there are boiling human heads inside. And, and then he pulls back some curtains and there's just this enormous pile of skulls and, and magical scrolls flying all over the place. And, and he realizes that they're trying to arrange a ghost wedding with, uh, with, with the ghost, uh, and that the, that the wedding with the dark Lord is in fact still on. And so he runs to them and tells them they need to flee and she gets sucked into hell and they have to go in after her charge into hell and take on this dark Lord. And there's this huge battle in, in hell. that's like 10 minutes long. And it, and it finally ends when, uh, uh, they're about to be consumed by the dark Lord and the, um, and the scrolls fall off of uh, Ning Choi San and, and explode on him, and they're able to escape. And then, uh, and then you know, they're able to say goodbye before the dawn, and, you know, she goes back into her urn, and he buries her. So that's the end. Uh, I've, I've really had to kind of gloss over it for time, but what, what did you guys think of the finale? They should have known when they walked into the inn in the middle of nowhere, and it's decorated all in red that something was mm-hmm. up. I'm sorry, but I thought they were totally clueless at that point. I knew something was up there. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. It's kind of one of the strange things. Like it's it's all decorated like for, for a wedding, and the fact that there's no other guest there, and there's like one sleepy looking innkeeper, <laughs> um, should have tipped them off. I mean, uh, I would have thought that Swords and Yin would have been savvy enough to realize something. But I mean, he, 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 he did, did eventually realize it. Yeah, an hour too late was the problem. I think in, in game terms, he failed his reception check the first time round, and <laughs> the DM wouldn't let him what, try again until a few, few turns later. What I loved about it was how quickly it allowed them to turn into the climax. Like they, it, and it just, it, and the whole movie does have a surreal vibe to it. So it was, like, it was one of these very surreal moments in the film where you know like you said you like they should have realized it and the viewer kind of knows something's not right here like like even if you don't notice the wedding decorations you the innkeeper is just a weird guy like there's something up with that innkeeper and 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 again it's another moment though where i think the humor is is used effectively because it disguises what's actually happening you think oh he's weird because they're trying to make a joke not he's weird because he's like secretly working for the dark lord and is uh and they're about to draw her into hell and so, again, I just think that, you know, the, the humor, you know, gave them enough camouflage to kind of slip it in so you, you might not have noticed it. Um, and then the climax scene I thought was a really, I don't know, a very, uh, it gets very atmospheric because you have this dense fog and you have these armies protecting the Dark Lord and just this massive battle. And uh, I don't know. And then, and then the scene where the Dark Lord opens up his, his robe and there's just all these heads and they fly out and bite everybody. 
uh, and there was just tons of stuff in there that I loved. Um, you know, were the heads was, women? I don't know. I, I saw some female heads. I don't know if they were all women. They maybe I was those thinking were maybe brides. they were. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that they were all the souls and the heads of his uh, former brides. That that might be it, because he did say, give me your uh, golden pagoda. He wanted, so uh, maybe, maybe that was part of it. I don't know. That that that, that would be a good explanation. Um, I definitely think that if, if that's the case, that that's, that added to the cool factor of the heads. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Kenny, what do you think? No, I really in, enjoyed that scene. Like, uh, uh, I thought it was it might be like a um, sort of like a, a tragic end because you know you you have the Swords and Yin guy sort of fighting one against many, and uh, uh, it feels like one of those end of a, a, a heroic end in the Wu Xia movie style, where where he sent, he sacrifices himself so that. Uh, um, Ling Choi San and Nip uh, Su can like have a happy ending, or, or she can reincarnate, or whatever. And like, he would die in the process. Uh, but I'm I'm kind of glad that they all got away in the end. Um, and I thought that the, the sort of the fine like the, I was expecting the suture to happen at some point because they made it a very obvious point of him yeah. keeping it on his body rather than in his mm-hmm. basket. Um, so I, I knew that was going to come into play. But it was still pretty sort of impressive to see it happen and how it happened. Uh, you know, um, was fairly. Uh, I thought that was a, a good way for for the big bad boss to be killed. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, um, Almost kind of like by accident because yeah. you weren't expecting the book to fall out, and it just happens to fall out and kills him. So it was like the um, the debt collector was kind of inept again, but inept in a good way that he was able to destroy the demon. And uh, and we also got to see uh, Ni Soi Sin get like a uh, a solid hit in at the uh, at the at the Dark Lord. She I think she ended up uh, throwing the sword into him or something. There was a moment. Where yeah, she, she was she was mm-hmm. flying with the sword and like uh, and I think because it was like a holy sword or whatever, like she was like basically burning her hands to to hold on to it to stab um, the Dark Lord. And uh, and I should say in the book we get an even I'd say even a happier ending than in the movie because he ends up uh, marrying uh, uh, son and having uh, children or having a child with her. Um, uh, it's a little more complicated than that because he's already got a wife in the book, but it's uh, but they but they have like a happy ending together. And uh, and I mean if if we're sort of running out of plot points to talk about, I mean, I'll finish first before we talk about ghosts. Can we continue? <laughs> oh no, that was it. I was just, I was just commenting that that it ended a little differently in the in the story. But, yeah, I mean, because I was just going to say like ghosts in Chinese fiction work so much differently than uh, ghosts in pretty much any other type of fiction. To be honest, like they seem to have a body, they can sleep with people, they can bear children, apparently, and it's just all those things where it's like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. What are they in the end? Are they the souls of the of the of, of the new departed, or yeah? You know, how how can they have so much like tangible physical effect on things? Well, it's it's interesting that like so much of the spiritual world in these movies and these stories reflects the real world like you know the there's a bureaucracy in heaven and hell just like there's a bureaucracy here they often have similar priorities and sometimes they even align with each other like some of the stories like if a bureaucrat in hell you know signs something off it applies here do you know what I mean like there's like all kinds of like like that's I think in the story um the reason she's allowed to have a child is because somebody in the heavenly bureaucracy or the bureaucracy of hell one of them made some kind of uh 
like basically gave her you know like an okay to do it because she because of the circumstances um i can't remember the exact detail but it was something like that and uh i don't know i i think it's uh it, yeah they do they do definitely seem to play by very different rules than uh than like a like a like a, a ghost story from like england or america um but i i don't know i think it again i think it's one of the things that it makes for more possibilities because you can have these dramatic love stories and like in a in a in a in a movie in like an american horror movie that might kind of be weird do you know what i mean like having a being in love with a ghost might be like really kind of creepy and strange but in this it's it doesn't feel that odd it just feels like you know they're in kind of you know bad circumstances and they're you know star-crossed lovers but it's not uh it's not it's not getting into it doesn't get into super strange territory you know yeah, it's like trying to imagine the the um, the girl from the ring having a relationship with yeah. another character. It would just be pretty. It would be very pretty, weird. pretty damn odd. Yeah, but but I mean, in like all of the strange tales, like I mean, not not most of the stories, but a good number of the stories are about scholars having romantic or sexual relationships with ghosts or fox spirits. I think some people even just call them like the ghost and fox spirit stories because they're, you know, there's so many of them in it. Um, so I think that's why, you know, that's why that element is so strong in the movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it works though. Uh, and I think I've sort of like, I've actually watched like a, a an alternate telling of this story, um, well, not loosely based on it, where basically the, the scholar, uh, finds the re her reincarnation like 18 years later and then marries her for, for, for that sort of happy ending instead of, uh, in the sequel i think the sequel kind of gets into that uh i'm trying oh, okay. to remember i'm trying to remember if it's actually her reincarnation or not but i think it, it might be um but he basically meets another person played by joey wong um and he falls in love with her and they and they're able to get married but then in part three joey wong ends up back with the tree matron so uh you know because of the hundred year thing so uh um. you know it's 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 very sad actually to see her back in the place where she started um but uh but yeah so i don't know um any other thoughts on the film and uh uh you know i thought one thing that was really important about it was the music i know we didn't talk about it but the music really i think is the thing that gives it its atmosphere that and like the fog machine but between the fog and uh, <laughs> the fog machine there's like there's like palpable fog throughout the movie and it's yeah and, like and half it, the movie that's true and and i feel like it re and and i mean a lot of 80s and 90s you know hong kong horror and martial arts movies have this sort of foggy odd angle effect but here i just feel that the fog and the music work so well together um between like you know the the synth music that they were playing and the uh there's a song i think it's called dawn do not come uh with oh the, i like that song yeah and it's got uh sally Yeh, uh does the vocals and it and and they kind of give you snippets of it until the very end when the dawn actually comes and it's just very i don't know very appropriate it fits it sort of you know helps give the mood and and, and even the song at the beginning the opening uh theme song to the uh movie which i think i think the vocals to that are done by james wong i'm not 100 percent sure uh you know that's it's 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 a little bit of a more playful sounding song but it's uh but as you hear it more and more it becomes like an earworm and uh 
and I don't know. I just, I just, I just think the music in this is, is very, uh, is, is one of the strengths of the film. Um, and I guess we should also say that there was a lot of action choreography in this and, uh, you know, Chi Soi Tung did some, uh, Lao Chi Ho, but also Philip Kwok was involved. Um, and so, you know, it's always nice to see him. Um, but yeah, I don't know any, any additional thoughts in the movie? No. I think it's um, a nice sort of change of pace for people who, you know, want something a bit different from the traditional uh, romance story or a, a, a kung fu or martial arts movie. I mean, it's uh, there's plenty of action and then um, plenty of mysticism as well involved here, and it it's all like a nice little introduction into the world of Chinese mythology as well. Like it doesn't you know cover. Uh, a lot but it gives you enough of a view that if you got interested in that sort of thing then it might inspire you to look into it a little bit more um so i definitely say you should check it out if you um if you're interested in that sort of thing and i think the more i oh go ahead go ahead i was gonna say i agree with kenny it's a great mix of um martial arts a love story a little bit of horror and a bit of comedy it worked all very well in this movie, and I think everybody should give it a chance. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think this is a, a really good movie to watch. I would, I would strongly encourage people who haven't seen it to check it out. And I, I like Kenny said. I think it's a good window into the um, into the mythology. And I think the more mythology you know, the more entertaining these kind of movies become. Uh, and 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 like Lady Chao Fung was saying, I think that all the different elements that are at play really complement each other in an extraordinary way here. And it it has like it has action, it has comedy, it has horror, yet it still remains a very atmospheric movie. Somehow, it remains a very horrifying movie at times. Uh, it doesn't. None of that takes away from the comedy, but the comedy and the action don't take away from the horror. And I think again, it's because you're dropping your guard for these things, and there's a flow to them. There's like a there, there seems to be a natural rhythm to when they're applied, and it's and it, and it all works uh, ex- extraordinarily well. So, uh, so I would say, you know, go out, check it out. It's a little harder to get than some of the movies we do. You it's not available on Prime, I think. And I, I, for, for this discussion, I watched the DVD version and I watched the Fortune Star Blu-ray. I have to say, I think the DVD version, um, I can't remember the name on the, co- uh, like what production company it was, but it's got like the beautiful red, uh, image of all the characters on it. Um, the that dvd had much more enjoyable and entertaining subtitles and the image quality wasn't that different on my screen from the blu-ray so i would honestly steer people towards the dvd um the sequels uh i've uh i i i would say you probably want to get the blu-rays for those but but for the first one i think the dvd uh with the red cover uh is is stronger and um and yeah, and, and also the director is, is a really good director. You should definitely check out uh, Ching, uh, Ching Sui Tung's uh, films. He's done, a, uh, you know, the, the Swordsman movies are outstanding. The uh, um, Terracotta Warrior is another outstanding film that he did. Um, the, I think he did uh, The Witch from Nepal. And, uh, and uh, I think Duel to the Death was the other one. Uh, a number of other films, but those ones really, to me, sort of a standout movies. And Sorcerer and the White Snake is a... Um, uh, is a more recent one. Also, you really should check out Strange Tales. Uh, you know, I, 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 I think that these are, uh, they're, 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 they're amazing stories and there, there, there are a number of different versions you can get. I, I have a 
quite a few different volumes of them because I like them so much. But if you've never read them, I would recommend getting the Penguin edition. Uh, some there, the, some of the translation things are a little odd. Like if you try to find this story in the Penguin version, you might have trouble because I think it's just called Magic Bag, Magic Sword, and in the uh, in the like uh, Chinese uh, uh, classic library version, it's called Ni uh, Chun, I believe, and uh, and so it's just just the name of the ghost character. Uh, but uh, definitely, it's it, you know. This is a great opportunity if you've seen the movie to watch to to go and, and check out the strange tale stories. They're really uh, a big part of of uh, of this style of film. Like a lot of movies are 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 uh, influenced by it. So, um, and I've done a lot of podcasts on strange tales, and I'll probably do some more in the coming weeks when I talk about the strange tales game. But uh, but but definitely, uh, it, this benefits from reading the story. And uh, and the story is available. Uh, like you know, you can get the Library of Chinese Classics multi-volume version. If you just get Volume One, you'll get the story, or you can get like the Penguin edition. And there's a number of other good editions out there too. There's the Giles version. Um, so we'll be back on next week. We'll talk about uh, 14 Amazons. We're gonna have a month of uh, of female hero movies. So we're gonna kick it off with uh, 14 Amazons, and uh, and it's a really good movie. It's a really solid film. Uh, and, uh, and that one is available on Amazon. So you can watch it on Amazon. Definitely check it out. Come listen to the discussion. And uh, until then, we'll talk to you later.